Well, I hope you'll praise the Lord this morning for um, circumstances starting to change a little bit and getting to sing three hymns. Amen? Good. I thought some of y'all were getting to liking just one. Maybe it depends on who you're sitting by. Please take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. And maybe a little bit like Jude, although I had endeavored to get through all 11 verses, uh, we're not going to do that this morning. We'll take this in a couple of parts. As you turn in there, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 3 verse 16. And we'll read all 11 verses, so Matthew three sixteen through chapter 4, verse 11. Hear now, as an act of worship, the Lord's word to his people. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. I'm sorry, verse, chapter 3, verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their knees, on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a revelation to us of your will for your people. We thank you for your love for us. And we ask now that as we consider your words, that we would be caught up mind and heart and strength in love to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. 
one of the things that is often talked about is, is a problem called recidivism. You're probably familiar with this. It's the problem that we have of criminals who come out of the justice system. They spend a period of time in prison. They come out seemingly rehabilitated only to commit crime again and go back into the prison system. And this happens over and over and over again. We have a friend in South Carolina who has a ministry called Jumpstart, and their objective is to bring uh, former inmates into Jumpstart. They teach them how, you know, they've been in there for 10, 15 years, and sometimes technology has changed so drastically that these men don't know how to use a debit card. And so they teach them how to do these things, hoping that um, introducing them to a society that may have changed drastically since they were incarcerated will help them not to go back. Others say, well, this is a matter of economics or of education. If we can provide these men and women with sufficient ability to make money for themselves before they go into prison will solve the problem. Or, if we can encourage them not to drop out of school and to finish their education, then this will present them with opportunities that will keep them from going back to prison. The problem with these sorts of solutions is that they see the heart of man as naturally inclined to do good, do you see? If you're familiar with the story of Les Miserables, you know that Jean Valjean, the character there, only stole a loaf of bread out of necessity so that he could feed his family. We have a culture that views all crime in this way. All crime is simply, if we can look deep enough, we'll see that it's born out of necessity. If we can remove that necessity, then we'll remove crime. One of my favorite classes in college was law and economics. And the whole principle of the course was to say, if we can make the commission of a crime so expensive, like diamonds, fewer people will buy it. It's possible that we can approach sin this way. That overcoming sin and temptation is just a, it's just a matter of a mechanism. If I can eliminate the need to sin from my life, then I won't. Or if I could just find the right, the right series of, of things to put in place, then I can overcome sin and temptation. And we look at this passage of Scripture and Jesus' exposure here to three temptations. And we might be tempted to say, well, here... Here is the model for overcoming temptation for everyone. Isn't that what this is? 
No. And yes. No. If you're looking for a 12-step program for beating the devil. Yes, it teaches you how to overcome temptation. No, if you're looking for some programmatic method. You think of John Wesley and the Methodists. If you just do certain things, then you can produce these particular results of holiness. Yes, it demonstrates this. That to overcome temptation, you have to have a desire that exceeds your desire for the enticement. Overcoming temptation is not a matter of making the right steps or living the right steps. It's not a process. Overcoming temptation is about having the right heart. And so the principal lesson that we find in this, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, is that overcoming temptation is, listen to me, it is about developing a love that exceeds a love for anything in this world. My heart, my mind, my soul are completely in, unchangeably set on something else. This morning we will see that to overcome the temptation of Satan, you must love God more than your physical well-being. Look for a moment at the context of this with me. We find in verses 1 to 2, there's the setup here. Matthew shows us what's happening. Jesus has been baptized importantly. He's been affirmed by the Father. This is my beloved Son. Then, the first thing that having been baptized by the Spirit, being given the Spirit without measure, the first thing we find is that He is led up into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Christ, His whole ministry here is set up. Do you see it? Now what's being set up is the life of Christ is one that is completely led by the Holy Spirit. Everything that He's going to do from here on out is under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And so the first thing that must take place is He must prove Himself. The reason that the Spirit led him into the wilderness specifically we are, we're shown here is to be tempted. Now we have to say something because some of you are going into your mind you're saying, well I know what James chapter 1 says. Doesn't it say that no one should ever say when he is tempted that he is tempted by God? God can tempt no one. And so one thing that you need to understand as you read this is that the word that is translated tempted here can be translated several different ways. In some places, like in James chapter 1, it ought to be translated tempt. 
But it can also be translated, examine. So when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and you find that before a man goes to the Lord's table, he's got to examine himself, it's the same word. And so it can also be translated, test. Let a man test himself. So next week we have the Lord's table. Before you come to that table, it is right and proper for you to examine, to test yourself. I know what a believing life looks like. Does mine look that way? The distinction between a test and a temptation is what? The distinction is a perspective. From the devil's perspective, Eve was tempted. You see, when Eve presented, um, when Satan presented Eve with the fruit in the garden, he was tempting her, drawing her, luring her to compromise her standard to leave the Lord her God. From God's perspective, it was a test. He didn't wish or will for Eve to sin. He intended Eve's good, that she should pass the test, that her faith would be confirmed. The distinction between a test and a temptation is just a matter of perspective. And that's what we find here as well. Jesus being led into the Spirit, or by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted or tested, as it were. He's being examined. What kind of a man is he? And this is why this occurs in the preface of Matthew's Gospel. This is the question you and I are asking. What kind of a man is he? What does this mean that he's baptized by the Spirit? Not only is Jesus led out to be tempted, but we find that he's not in a Garden of Eden, do we? Don't we? He's not in a Garden of Eden. He can't look around and see everything that's desirable to eat. He's not surrounded by peace. He's surrounded by the region where there are wild beasts, Mark brings out. And we remember that in temptation, that our temptation, the, the, the nature of our temptation can often be exacerbated by circumstances, can't it? How many of you have been involved in a heated debate at 11 p.m.? Everybody's losing his mind. That's why one of my, my counsel to uh, husbands and wives who are having difficulty communicating is, if it gets to be 10 p.m. and you haven't resolved an argument, call a timeout. Because the only thing that's going to come after that when you grow weary and tired is more sin on sin. Call time out. Revisit it. Because circumstances can exacerbate temptation. Don't misunderstand me. I didn't say excuse sin. Notice what the situation is for your Lord. He's led into the wilderness. No friend to put his arm around him and say, hey, brother, I'll hold you accountable. No food. 
no shelter, nothing except what he had on his back for 40 days and for 40 nights. As we read about this, we think about his loneliness, perhaps. We think about what his flesh might have felt for 40 days and 40 nights without food. Our our mind goes back intentionally. We're reflecting on Israel for 40 days in the wilderness, or 40 years in the wilderness, or Elijah, or Moses, both of whom were supernaturally sustained on the mountain of the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. We find out very naturally, look at the end of verse 2. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was very naturally hungered. It's the same word that we're going to find in the Beatitudes in chapter 5. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Jesus was famished. What Matthew is pointing out in this reality is that this is a moment, if there was one, of intense personal weakness for Christ, emptied of physical strength, emptied perhaps even of His will. Think about yourself when you've missed one meal. All you can think about is how hangry you are. Get out of my way. The food's on the table. Let's not even say the blessing. And here's your Lord. Led by the Spirit. For us, these are times of excuse making. I lost my temper because I hit my toe. I lost my temper. Temper is just my instinct. We, we find that truth in the story of Uzzah, don't we? When the ark is being carried along in the, in, in the back of a, a cart and, and, and it starts to shift. And Uzzah, his, his natural instinct was to jut his hand out. The impulse of your being is to sin against the Lord. I was... Reminding a a woman in a nursing home of that story. And she she said to me, in a nursing home, mind you, yes, we were in the cafeteria the other day and there was a lady with Alzheimer's and all the time I'm walking through the cafeteria and she's got her wheelchair stuck out into the aisle so I walked by and I shoved it under the table. Your temptation to sin does not get weaker just because you get older. It may change. But you will still be tested. Sometimes by little old ladies with their wheelchair in the aisle. You're still going to stub your toe. We think, well, it's just my instinct. That's exactly what your dog thinks when he steals food off the table. And what we find here, when we look at Christ in his weakness, 
This moment of intense personal weakness, being still committed to doing the will of God, we find that he fulfills the first table of the law. Do you see that? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is what's presented to you. Even in this moment of intense personal weakness, Christ shows that he loves God more than anything. And as we come to this and consider it, there, there are a couple, of, a couple of doctrines that I think you've got to have in mind to understand it. And the first doctrine is the impeccability of Christ. I didn't say impeachability. We all would affirm with one heart and mind that Jesus did not sin. That he was completely perfect in his obedience to God's law. But the other thing that we have to affirm is that Jesus could not sin. It was impossible for your Lord to violate God's law. And some of you say, well, I understand that. He's perfect. He was perfect. And, and, and the challenge for you there is when you say he's perfect is what you're doing is you are confusing the natures. Christ had two natures. And when he is fulfilling the law here, we are remembering that he does that in his humanity. With flesh and bones just like you. But what keeps him from violating God's law, two things. He is in perfect union with the divine Christ. Upheld at every moment by the divine Christ. The human Christ can endure even in the end the wrath of God poured out upon Him at the cross. He did that as a man. He also had the Holy Spirit without measure. He is being led, moved by the Holy Spirit, not controlled, influenced, reminded. So you must remember that even though Christ faces this temptation, this is why this is so important. Listen, your redemption was never at risk. Jesus could not sin. And therefore, God's plan for your redemption could never be undone. The other thing that we have to affirm here is our doctrine of the devil. Tempters going to tempt. And when he comes in this circumstance, we find that he does. But this is not a Jesus versus the devil search situation. This is not trying to show us whose will is greater. And one of the things that causes me a lot of concern as a pastor is many people give the devil way more power than he is to you. Do you understand that there is not a moment in the devil's existence that he is not completely and utterly dependent upon the providence of God for his entire being? He's not omnipotent. 
He doesn't know all. He's not capable of doing all. He can't be in all places at all times. He is completely and utterly limited. And his space of movement is completely limited by by God's providence and sovereignty. He can't just do as he wills. This is why we have the first two chapters of Job, by the way. And so he can only tempt the Lord in accordance with God's providence. You have to understand those two doctrines or you will wander into error. Christ could not sin and the devil can only tempt him, can only um, entice him insofar as God allows. That's important for you to understand too. Because often we look at what's going on in our nation, we say, oh, the devil's work. But the devil can't work beyond what the Lord allows, my friend. And if the Lord is allowing him more space of movement, then perhaps it's on judgment of us to test us. Where does your allegiance lie? Or to put it better, Whom do you love? And all I want you to see in this first temptation in understanding Christ, this moment of intense personal weakness for Him, as emptied as a human being could possibly be, especially digestively, right? Emptied of strength. Here He stands before the tempter And so the tempter comes to him, notice in verse 3, came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Here's the first temptation. The challenge, do you see, if you are the Son of God. What is he trying to evoke in Christ? We've just seen in chapter 3, verse 17, we read all those verses for a reason. That God, the voice of God the Father, came out of the heavens and said what? This is my beloved Son. Or from other perspectives in Mark and Luke, you are my Son. My beloved Son. This will be affirmed again twice in the Gospel. But here the devil takes this this affirmation by the Father and he turned it into a temptation if you are the Son of God. You see, sowing the seed of doubt if he can. Prove it. Prove it. Speak. Say a word. Demonstrate the power of God. Turn the stones into bread. Perform a miracle. And this this seems like it's a completely harmless thing to do, doesn't it? I mean, didn't he change water into wine at Cana? What's the difference between turning stones into bread? Here, to feed himself. Completely harmless thing to do. But the issue here for Christ is the nature of the temptation. What the devil is enticing him to do is to use his power for personal gain. Put your money where your mouth is. Notice the Lord's response. 
Verse 4, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now here, I want you to pay careful attention. We could look at this and say, ah, the secret to overcoming the devil's temptation, the secret to overcoming the devil's snare is this. Always have a verse ready. Always have a verse ready so that when I feel that temptation, I can quote that verse. And and I'm not telling you that the memorization of Scripture is wrong or that quoting verses in your times of need is wrong. But we never, listen to me, the Bible is not Tylenol. Jesus is quoting Scripture here because He's showing you where His heart is. He is saying in His quotation of Scripture, I love the will of God. That's where my heart lies. What is pulsing through my brain, brought up by my father Joseph in the instruction of the Word day in and day out, is I think The Word, I think the Scripture, my heart is so bound to my Father that His heart is my heart. I love what He loves. And when I read His Word, He says to me from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, man doesn't live by bread alone. And I say, Amen. God is my provision. That's what we're being shown here. Not that this is some process or mechanism for overcoming temptation, but that, listen, when, when your affections, when your love, when your being is so set on the Lord your God, there is nothing that the devil can present to you. Nothing. Not lust. Not lying. not coveting. And in this one we find that not even my own physical well-being, the entryway to my heart. Jesus is here. Each time that Jesus quotes Scripture, He will quote from Deuteronomy. 8.3, 6.16, and 6.13. He is reflecting on the life of Israel, the Son of God, remember, Israel, the Son of God. And when we quote, when we find him quoting here from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, he's reflecting on that time when the Lord, through Moses, reminded the people this, I fed you with manna. I caused it to come for you six days a week. I led you all those days in the wilderness. I provided for you for 40 years. And God humbled them, do you see? He humbled them. He brought them low to show them that in and of themselves they are not sufficient. That even their very being was dependent on the Lord their God. He humbled you And let you hunger. 
and fed you with manna so that you would see you are eating from his hand. Not only that, but he didn't allow their clothes to wear out or their sandals. Even though they were in that wilderness, the place of loneliness, of barrenness, of nothingness, they had the Lord. And so God tested them. Would the people, would they cry out, Lord, provide for us. We know that you have led us all this way. We saw you in Egypt. You caused all the gods of Egypt to be humiliated and made nothing. We know that you have all power and you love us. You've called us. Abraham is our father. No. They said, Moses! How dare you lead us out here? And they complained. And this is where Jesus is the perfect son. He didn't complain. He did what Israel should have done. When he hungered and was at this moment of intense personal weakness, he said, I know my Father will provide for me. In fact, He is enough. His Word, His will, obeying Him is the impulse of my heart, the joy of my life. I love Him. I love Him. He has an implicit faith in Jehovah. He knows that whatever God ordains for Him is right, and He takes all of His complaints to Yahweh. Do you know that God cares about your physical well-being? It was Greek philosophy that our physical bodies were a throwaway. In fact, they were the source of all evil. And once we get rid of the physical body, then our soul is freed and we find perfection and nirvana. But you should remember that God created you body and soul. And part of His promise to you is the inheritance of a new body. 1 Corinthians 15. We're, it's not a throwaway. And so He directs you as well to pray for daily bread. Ask the Lord to provide for you all of your physical needs. He cares about your physical well-being but you also have to hold that with the other side of this, that God often ordains periods of physical affliction for you. Many of you can say, Amen. He ordains it. This is not you losing the battle to Satan. This is not Satan taking some sort of uh, imminent domain over your knees or over your heart. God has ordained times of testing for you And as you look to Christ, the question is, where do you turn when you are not well? Some strain to find the right medicine. They strain to prolong life, to cease their pain. 
I've seen parents who are grasping at everything they can. Doctor, try this, try this, try this. There's more you can do. No, don't take him off the vent. He, he can live longer. We strain for the right therapy. All the while, ne never turning to God in repentance. Never turning to Him. Never asking Him for relief. Never asking Him for consolation. Never once saying, Father, help me with all my being to be completely contented in what You ordain. When Satan tempts you through your physical appetite, whatever that may be, listen to me, you will only resist it if you have developed a deep satisfaction in God's provision. If you are looking to Him alone for contentment, do you know why Jesus was able to quote Scripture? Because He had spent so much time eating it, feasting on it, taking it in, thinking about it, meditating on it. Because of why? He loves the Lord. And there he finds communion with his Father. When Satan tempts you through physical appetite, whatever that may be, you will only ever resist it to any degree if you have taken the time to develop a deep, abiding love for your Father. A satisfaction in his, content, in his provision. Let me give you a couple of examples. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, we read about the war between Michael and the dragon, or Michael and Satan. We read about some martyrs about whom it is said they loved not their lives even to death. Even the very beating of their heart physically, they left in the Lord's hands and said, Lord, when you take my life, I am content. We think about Job. I want you to turn over to Job chapter 13. Thinking here again about a calamity that was brought on by the work of Satan in the hand of God. Here we find Job in one of his extended discourses responding to his friend Zophar. I want to read with you Job 13, verses 13 to 15. Saying to his friends, Let me have silence, and I will speak. And let come on me what may. Why should I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in my hand, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Job is confessing there before his witnesses that he understands, listen, I may have boils on my body. I may be out here again in the wilderness. My life, my family, my home, all of my possessions have been taken to, from me. But listen to me. 
even if the Lord takes my life, I will trust Him. It's not in my hand. And many of us over the course of the past year have been put to the test. COVID-19 has tested many of us. The threat of death has resulted in intense fear and intense dismay for many. And as your pastor, I have to remind you of something. That everyone who survives COVID will die of something else. But I remind you as your pastor of another pertinent truth. Just as Peter, in his sermon, said that David did not die until God's purpose for him was done, you will not die until God's purpose for you is finished. If you're ten or a hundred and ten, Your days are in the Lord's hands. He has numbered them. Walk with Him. Trust Him. You see, only when you come to to grips with this and you've really thought about it and you've taken it into your heart and you've recognized "My my life is in God's hands. He made me body and soul. He cares about me body and soul. Will you resist the devil? Spurgeon says, Our Heavenly Father sends us frequent troubles to try our faith. If our faith be worth anything, it will stand the test. Guilt, G-I-L-T, is afraid of fire. Gold is not. The paste, Jim, dreads to be touched by the diamond. But the true jewel is not. Listen. What overcomes the temptation to love this life more and more is to look to the life to come. It is to recognize that your life is ever and only in the hands of your sovereign Father. Like your Lord, To say, I'm in the wilderness, but I know that He will lead me, guide me, love me, provide for me, and give me what I need so that I might say with the Apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ, but to die, that's gain. Now, As we look next week to this next temptation, we will say also, we'll see also that Jesus doesn't treat his life as a throwaway. He doesn't just jump off the temple. And so these things have to be held in balance. Christians don't throw their lives away needlessly. This is the counterpunch that comes in the next temptation. But we also, listen, we also are those, must be those who must live Proclaiming that this life is not all there is. You must develop a love for the life to come. And this is where the scripture memory comes in. But it's not just remembering a phrase here and there. It's all of it. All of it becomes your meat and drink, your daily sustenance. 
because it is a revelation to you of the love and will of your Father. You must develop a love for the life to come, a love, a longing for the life that is to come, and a confidence that when, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Seeking the assurance of your eternity at God's hand. Only then will you overcome any temptation to live for this life only. Amen. Father, we have all sensed this temptation. We've faced the threat of a layoff at work or the sickness of a loved one or the sickness of ourselves and that sense of desperation comes upon us. And the three, four words, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? We ask that then, being led by your Holy Spirit, the words that we have throughout our lives, eaten, drunk, cherished, loved, would then come to mind and we would know that what we're going to do is turn to you first, second, third, forth and ask you for provision and then rest in your determinations because we know that all of those determinations proceed from the heart and mind of a loving father who is infinitely wise and has created us soul and body we praise you in Christ's name amen